Namaste, Jordan. How are you? Which part of the world are you in? I'm actually here in Stockholm, Sweden today. What's special? We're uh, we're on tour actually with Dream Theater. We're moving all around Europe, and uh-huh. uh, today, nicely, I have a day off. It's a perfect time to chat with you. Marvelous, marvelous. I have a couple of very interesting questions uh, coming your way as part of our agenda today. Great, look forward to it. You were considered a child prodigy uh, at the since since the age of nine. You joined the Juilliard School of Performing Arts. and you had several mentors that include the likes of uh teachers uh, such as magda who was who was the hungarian teacher we had adele marcus katherine parker and many more so i'm sure there must have been a lot of pressure in terms of you know living up to certain expectations so how did you make sure that you stayed motivated and kept learning in spite of all these pressures of living up to certain expectations uh that's a good question i mean when i was a young person my whole world was this kind of thing. I mean, I got into the kind of uh, avenue if you will of classical education and I didn't know anything else. You know, when you're a kid, you're uh-huh. kind of led in a particular direction and in general you go with it. So I just thought that that was the way life worked and <laughs> I was always so um dedicated to my music and I loved my teachers and for me that was like uh that was part of who I was, you know, and so I never thought of anything else. wasn't until i got older that i was questioning a little bit like staying on this very kind of you know focused maybe in some ways narrow path it kind of leads me to another yet another question uh, so how much of this entire process was nurturing by your parents and mentors and yeah. how much of it evolved out of your own maturity and uh, thinking well <clears throat> i think that my my parents uh let's see my mother was very supportive of music but neither of my parents knew really anything about a music okay. career or how to shape it or what to do if anything uh-huh. my my mother's role who's the one involved was you know, she enjoyed taking me to the lessons and and just kind of the music that i was making and i think she felt you know connected with that um but the teachers uh you know the teachers just kind of kept me guided on that path uh-huh. and um Yeah, I just I just always just kind of was naturally drawn to that and my development was part just part of that. You know, I, I didn't again, I didn't question it. I was learning I was learning what I was learning, you know, the the classical music, but I was always also discovering. I was I almost naturally I had this sense of, you know, wanting to discover new things about music. I would hear something and then I would go to the piano or go to a piece of music paper and start writing something to try to expand a little bit of what I was uh thinking about what I was working on what I was listening to to try to grow that's just kind of you know who I was as a person wonderful would it be right to say that uh, you were an exceptionally gifted child in terms well, of your talents i mean i don't like to necessarily judge myself that way but i mean i went to i got into juilliard and that's where all the you know most talented kids were going so i was surrounded <laughs> by people who were writing you know 8 year old 8 year olds who were writing operas and doing incredible things I like sure. to think maybe I was blending in a little bit with that kind of thing. Marvelous. Uh in terms of music education like you mentioned rightly you uh enrolled yourself uh, into the Juilliard School of Performing Arts wherein you learned your foundations uh to classical music and music in general. Right? So at this stage you have your own online music conservatory and I'm sure you have many students that enroll into a lot of intuitive programs. I'd like to understand from you as to what are some of the indicators that you and your team has to gauge the process of learning that is qualitatively happening. Right? I know obviously that we are a culture that uh, goes by the idea of uh, having or gaining a lot of musical certificates, degrees, and added to our fancy portfolios. Right? Yeah. And uh, I'm sure I'm sure that you know people complete the process successfully, and some of them. uh get stuck midway or what not right so what i'd like to understand from you is how is real value being added through this entire you know educational program in terms of working in a music industry and speaking with regard to your online music conservatory so how do you how do you guys go about that well <clears throat> first of all it's not my educational world 
that I've been running for years is not, you know, it's not a school. So it's not like a strict program where we take you from, you know, A to Z. It's just not, that's not who I am. That's uh-huh. not what the program is. So just understand that the, the online conservatory uh, that I have was born out of an interest in helping and educating and, and sharing. I've always been in- interested in sharing and allowing people to, you know, learn from the experience and the, you know, knowledge that I've, that I've gained. So I put it together a long time ago with some, with a student that was very technically internet savvy, pretty much before any of the online programs were available. I think I was like one of the first people to have something online that was an educational resource for keyboard player, which is crazy, but that's what happened. Um, And so I would feed it, if you will, I feed it information, I feed it etudes that I would write, I feed it some harmonic things that I did. I tried my best to do it in different levels, you know, like beginner, intermediate, advanced. Um, and I, uh, you know, for years came up, I think, with a lot of good material based on that kind of concept. But honestly, I, I was never, um, I was never um, spending the time to make it a, a formal program. Um, right. <clears throat> so what, you know, my, my education, so I think my educational offerings, whether it's through Patreon or Usic Play or any of the various outlets that I do, I try to take my experience and make as 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 um, you know cohesive uh, and as kind of Jordan like you know <laughs> um, you know set of material that I can, uh, and then and then you know if I work with a company like a Usic Play, they're experts at forming the material so it's presented to a student in a way that they could really, you know, learn from it. So that's kind of like the, the, I'm like an artist who also offers, you know, educational things. And I, and I enjoy it. I'm into it. I've always done clinics, even for the the synthesizer companies where I, you know, feel like I have the capability to explain things very clearly because as a, as a user, as somebody that, you know, appreciates when somebody shows me something and it's just clear and, you know, well, I don't know for lack of better words, basic, I can appreciate, you know, what's on the other side of when I when I speak. I want it to be like, okay, I'm going to say this in a way that this person will really understand it. I think too too often things are clouded with uh, complication. So, uh, um, so yeah, that's kind of like where where I'm at with uh, with all of that. Okay, so it I mean from what what it seems it it's more of a it's more of a repository wherein you try to feed information based on your personal research and, you know, your learning. Would it sure. be right right to term it yes. that way? Yeah, and also my focus, my focus these last, you know, couple of years, a few years, has been more on Patreon okay. and doing things through Patreon that are educational, like uh, like uploading my own etudes or uh, doing a live stream where I'll analyze um, one of the pieces of music I've written or a dream theater piece and look at how it was programmed look at some of maybe the technical considerations at the keyboard, um, you know, the, those kind of things. But, you know, the most important thing about uh, my, like, if you think about me as a, like a teacher, is that I feel like the combination of my background with classical music and rock music and technology uh, and who I am has led me to, to come up with some, maybe some unique perspectives about how to grow as a musician and a performing musician that that's my that's my um you know custom if you will or or uh that's my best offering very remarkable uh you are a multifaceted individual right from being a chief music officer at cme music and a director of music technology at roly labs or you could also be described as an innovator like you rightly mentioned when it comes to all the incredible tech-savvy applications that you have built as part of Wisdom Music. So some may know, know of you as a child prodigy that we discussed earlier, uh, who joined Ju- Juliet School of Mu- Performing Arts at the age of nine, or even keyboardist, writer, and performer for supergroups like uh, Liquid Tension Experiment or Dream Theater, for example. Right? So do you ever suffer from an identity crisis, having these many identities? And I'm sure... For each person, they view view you from a very different identity. So how how does that work? Um, <clears throat> that's a good question. I mean, I do, you know, I do um, have my thoughts, my hands, if you will, in a lot of different things. But because it's all very much, you know, who I am, and they're all things that are very uh, close to me. 
that I'm passionate about, it all becomes me. It's all one thing. It's not really like doing this and then doing something very different. It's not like I'm a, a banker and then I'm also a yeah. you know a lawyer and then I'm a musician and then I, it's all me and my musical technical world. Um, so I get inspired when I hear and see, like for example, some new technology that uh, you know, offers a new method of, of expression, and I'll you know lend my interest and maybe some ideas in that direction or, or give a helping hand in some way, whether it's suggestions or whether it's connecting to other people that I know in the industry. Um, I just love it. I'm also a people person, which makes which makes it very possible for me to do that. So like, I mean, it's not unusual for me to find somebody working in music technology and say, hey, that's an awesome idea. But how about if you did this and I can introduce you to this person and I can help you grow to this point. So it's all me. It's all very close to me and forms who I am as a as a person and as a as a in a professional in the music space. So and also I tell people that, you know, because I don't have a whole lot of other hobbies, you know, aside from just doing music and working with music technology. So there's more time for that. Sounds sounds fair to me. In fact, I was having a very uh, short conversation with uh, one of them who had the privilege to hang out with you in India. His name is Vijay Ganesh from uh, Swarnabhumi Music Academy. Okay, so yeah. He uh, he says that he took you around uh, you know Tamil Nadu and uh, they did a little bit of Kanchipuram uh, sari shopping and all of that for your wife at at some yeah, point. Right, right. And, and he was awesome. yeah, he was mentioning about uh, you know the fact that you mentioned that you're you're a very uh, people oriented person and uh, you know social in that sense. I can uh, right. I can relate a lot from whatever he said. Oh, cool! Awesome! Yeah, yeah totally. So, what made the eight-year-old uh, Jordan Rudis write a letter to Mr. Bernstein, wherein you said that I think I can play better than you? What What was the impulse <laughs> behind something like that? <laughs> well, that was a long time ago. <laughs> first of all, yeah, yeah, yeah. But my uh, my mom was really like. She remembers sitting on the bench, like outside of the concerts, as a, as a young person okay. listening, not even necessarily buying a ticket, but just being a kind of an ear outside of these parks where the orchestra would play. And she would talk about Leonard Bernstein, and she, that was one of the things that she opened up to me is to see this musician who I think that she could relate a little bit uh, my talent to maybe in a way to what Leonard Bernstein was doing, because you know obviously a, a classical conductor and a pianist. And also working with other genres, because even as a young person, I was always playing, you know, different kinds of music and as well right. as my classical music. And that certainly when I went to Juilliard, I'd have to hide that a little bit. I'd have to pull away and go to a far practice room away from my teachers and play blues and boogie woogie. <laughs> so there was this, you know, there's this thing in my head about Leonard Bernstein. That's part of it. So uh, I imagine that um, that's why that letter came out. As maybe a slightly, uh, I guess I, I I wasn't as humble back then as I am now. <laughs> maybe I was a pompous uh, eight-year-old, and I wrote decided to write him a letter. <laughs> I don't know, but it was so amazing that it that it showed up because I was blown away when the Library of Congress called me and said they found this letter. I was like, "What? Oh my God, that's crazy!" Because I literally I don't remember writing it, but I obviously did, and it's on my family stationery, and it's you know, this is oh. funny, yeah, funny very, stuff, very funny. Yeah, you were awarded the prestigious Grammy Award last year. Uh, firstly, congratulations on winning this great award. So, what has winning the Grammy Award meant to you? You've been a musician of very rare passion and integrity, and you communicate that in many powerful ways. So, does an award really matter to a man of your commitment and drive? The only thing that that is notable about that is my suitcase is a lot heavier these days because. I take it everywhere I go. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. It yeah. stays home. Um, <clears throat> does it really matter? It does matter from a career perspective and from okay. a public social perspective, because the reality is that everybody knows what a Grammy is. They don't know some of the other things. Correct. You know, <clears throat> literally, like if you get a Grammy, even if you're not connected with the music business, people are like, oh my god, you got a Grammy? Like it means something. It means like, uh, you know. So on that level, I mean, it can open doors. 
You yeah. know, it can it can give you an immediate an immediate kind of acceptance in certain situations. You know, in any in any situation, like if you're being like if Dream Theater or if I'm being introduced, people say, "Here is Jordan Rudis, the winner of a Grammy." <laughs> I mean, okay, so that's that part, and it just is what it is. As far as musically goes, I mean, it's great to be accepted. Especially, you know, what's nice about the Grammy, quite honestly, is the grant, you know, the Grammy voters are your fellow musicians and people in the industry. So that really is something that's very special that they, especially like in the metal category, we have all these fantastic bands in that category. And they're all kind of almost tipping the hat, to Dream Theater in this case, and saying, hey, guys, like we grew up on Dream Theater and, <laughs> and we love you guys and, you know, and respect. And so that's really nice. I mean, but on the other hand, uh, you know, we were outside of that whole arena if you will for a long time and we okay. didn't think we'd ever be inside of it did it you know we were making our music we've been making our music i've been making my music for years has right. the music ever really gotten that much better you know come on i mean we've been doing this for a long time and i think we've made some great albums even before the grammy association knew who we were that we were a band so you know somehow the world wrapped around the record company and you know, starts to play a little bit the, the game if you will of you know submitting and making people aware and a little bit of, you know, maybe even, um, it's not really marketing, but just spreading the word that, you know, Dream Theater is here and we've got a song and we, you know, it's up for a Grammy and, you know, all of that enabled us to be part of that more commercial world. And I'm really glad that we did that um, because, again, it opens doors. It means that we have a career builder, uh, means that more people who wouldn't pay any attention to us before um, would would uh, you know kind of notice and pay attention and 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 have maybe some respect so yeah i mean that's what it is musically i mean whatever you know we keep doing what we're doing and, you know and uh, we always have but there is re but there is a reality to the grammy thing that is notable do you have it do you have a grammy in, in the suitcase next to you somewhere in the room oh, of course <laughs> 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 Uh, right. I'd like to actually have somebody. <laughs> oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I'd like to know your evolution as a writer from your 1993 album "Listen" to your latest release "Chase." So, what have been some of the uh, improvements that you personally felt in terms of the musicality? Yeah. Um, well, for one, I mean, from a technology side, uh -huh. I'm always, I'm always. Um, inventing and open to new ways of musical expression and and those new ways of musical expression through technology open new doors of creativity as well so my own music and my own path has been enriched and has you know kind of evolved from the tools that i use whether it's something like a continuum um or um, a instrument, or my very own Geo Shred, which is my wisdom, one of my wisdom music application that is actually very popular. You probably know in India uh, because of its very kind of uh, advanced pitch intelligence. You can do all the carnatic kind of things on right. the playing surface. But anyway, no matter what it is, what you know, whichever direction I grow from that, and that's a, that's a big part of it. Like I just discovered, um, I should also say, like something like a seaboard, which was the Rolly, yeah. uh, you know, invention, which enabled it keyboard player to put their hands on a surface and really do a lot of interesting bending of notes and sliding and all that. And most recently, I'm very excited uh, about this new instrument that was designed in France that's called uh, an Osmos. It's oh, okay. uh, made by a company called Expressive E. It's really uh -huh. interesting because it's a traditional keyboard. It looks just like a keyboard, feels okay. like a keyboard, but the keys actually will move and move side to side and you can do vibrato on them and oh, it'll... Okay. Do, it'll do uh, very interesting things like most keyboards when you press the keyboard down and you get to the bottom of the key and it figures a contact it'll make sound on this keyboard is it can as soon as you start to press the key the moment it goes starts to go down it can start to, to allow a sound to enter so you could do incredible. <clears throat> some incredible things it's really really a game changer as they say just came out very recently literally like a, was released a few weeks ago okay. um so things like that are guaranteed to change what I do. Um, and besides that, you know, um, well, this m going from technology to maybe just music in general, but the software that comes out, people's software that comes out with new sounds, new ways of making sound, besides the, besides the physical ways of expressing it, 
like a GeoShred or this Osmos keyboard. You know, the software can make you think about the great sounds, can open your mind to new possibilities too. All of a sudden, you're able to morph between a vocal sound uh, and, a, and a trumpet, you know, with some kind of a physical expression. And then you start going, wow, I could do some other, something, yeah. something different. But, but beyond that, I'm just speaking just musically. I mean, I learned so much from other kinds of music and other musicians and other, other yeah, other players that that is always expanding my world. You know, yeah. hanging out even with the, amazing musicians that i have people like uh you know marco miniman or tony levin you know or or absolutely the guys in dream theater like a mike mancini yeah. you know john petrucci all these guys they offer so much you know there's yeah, so yeah. many lessons there steve morse you know rod morgan i can think of each guy i've worked with and everybody by their own intake of information and musicality is able to give something else you know give something else to the music and also share something else with each of us so i could you know pinpoint each guy and what they've what they've given to me as far as my own growth as a musician so that's 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 kind of and besides just listening to a lot of different things opening my ears like oh i hear, hear a sound going wow how, how is that working what is that harmony and then i go to the keyboard and go oh wow okay i can do that and maybe trying it in a song something like that so there's so many so many ways to kind of open the the you know perspectives and allow different things to come through me lovely uh, tell us something about your creative process very often people carry this notion that it might be a mystery to the artist sometimes you know uh, who is making music as it yeah. might be to someone who is listening to it in the other end right you're someone who draws influences from the from the likes of gentle giant genesis rick wakeman and of course like you know uh, considering your uh, timeless uh, melodicism that you associate yourself like you mentioned with dream theater or uh, liquid uh, attention experiment you know in terms of forward thinking lines and textures right? so how much of these elements in music are consciously derived and processed without too much of intrusion and planning in terms of your own intellect and how does it work for you generally wow i need you to repeat that question One more sure, time. Sure, sure. So you you draw a lot of influences from the bands and the artists that I mentioned, right? So yeah. there is timeless melodicism in your work that you've exhibited as part of some of these projects in right. terms of these forward thinking lines and the textures, right? So I, I'd like to know how much of it is consciously derived and processed without too much of pre-planning. Oh, oh, that's kind of interesting. Well, first of all, let me say that. uh you know i am i'm a real improviser like like what okay. i what i like to do what i uh-huh. can do flash like to do is sit down at the keyboard or one of my instruments and just play spontaneously and allow music to just kind of like flow through me Correct. um which um which is one of the joys of my life. for me it's like it's like easier than speaking the yeah. you know the english language i mean it's just that's what i do yeah so and you know when that happens when that kind of fluid output comes you know whether it's improv- improvising or 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 towards the goal of composing something it's it's fed by you know all the influences that i have you know whether it's genesis or yes or king crimson or emerson lake and palmer or stravinsky or bach or whatever all those things you know kind of like they become part of and all the influences become part of the musician and if the musician is able to i think the the coolest thing to do the most effective thing to do the most interesting thing to do is kind of allow it to all kind of blend together and mold together and to become something that's original one of the hardest things to do one of the hardest things to do for musicians is you know to place to compose but compose something original that is like not doesn't sound just like you know something else um I guess I've been kind of like lucky in that sense because I feel like with my own music uh it's easy for me it's almost natural for me to just take the influences in and put them out you know to, you know like just, <laughs> I don't know why that is I mean I'm not you know I'm not I don't consider myself to be like academically you know that sharp I just consider myself to be a very musical person and able to express myself musically and maybe even if anything express myself with the english language about how i create the music i think i get better at that but yeah so the influence is all kind of come in and they merge in my mind and they become my vocabulary for for making music i understand 
do you do you believe in the cycles of life and rebirth and the many musical masterpieces as you see uh, when you might look back upon the work that you've created over the years and i'm sure if you had to look ahead there might be certain landmarks or milestones that you might be trying to reach or would it be right to say that you've have completely been able to achieve total surrender to the process of music and mastered it i think that it's always something that is this growing and evolving and changing and maybe even circling you know you're going it's hard it's not a, it's not a one direction thing at all correct, correct. sometimes when i well, sometimes when i'll go back and I'll, i'm on this path and i go back and i listen to something that happened over here i go wow that was interesting maybe there's something to even learn from that so yeah. it's so it's so much not like a constant timeline but i think life you know is like that as well where you know we we might hopefully we learn as we get older we get new perspectives but but also there's things about youth that that you know are so can be so clear and and you can manage certain things about life when you're younger and have a certain kind of energy that even if you're older you have maybe you're wiser you might not be able to 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 um, hit the hit the target as well i don't know if that makes any sense but i'm kind of it's an interesting you're making me think in an interesting way and i think that i think that we're always kind of like operating in this circular way where the past is just as important as the future we're kind of you know gaining growing uh experiencing on this other kind of a timeline from what you said right now it it led me to another follow up question a lot okay. of musicians feel that some of their best work is ahead of them as they are entering their 70s so could you tell me about that philosophy well i mean i that totally relates to what i just said i mean maybe i think that i'm certainly you know always inspired always interested always going to you know like discover new things about music but is it going to be my best i certainly hope so <laughs> <laughs> but i guess what i'm saying is that there's not i don't think there's any mess that there's i don't think that there's necessarily a guarantee of that right given given the nature of life and the, and and this uh you know kind of multi faceted timeline that's happening and our different skills at different ages and you know i hope that i have the energy first of all just in a very basic form like when i'm not 70 yet but now i feel good you know <laughs> but who knows maybe at 70 i'll be you know just sitting in front of one of these technology creations and waving my hands and creating colors and space and music and is that better than what i did before or is that you know i guess it's up to the <laughs> somebody might say that's his best work <laughs> but meanwhile, am I playing thirteen eight and like a million riffs and you know playing guitar and keyboards at the same time when I'm you know seventy five eighty five I might literally be wearing something around my brain that's like you know just triggering images on a on a you know ambisonic sound system with again <laughs> with like colors and lights and things, and I might be floating very nicely, but <laughs> who's to say you know we'll find out we'll find out we'll find out. You worked with three extraordinary guitar players, uh, the likes of uh, Vinnie Moore, John Petrucci, mm. Stephen Wilson. So, could you contrast your experiences with some of these contemporaries uh, for the people of India? Sure. Well, well, let's just say that Stephen Wilson isn't. He is a guitar player, but he's not in the in the same guitar space that a Correct. John Petrucci or a Vinnie Moore. Stephen is a producer, a composer, and uses the guitar as a vehicle for his expression. Right. You know, John Petrucci. Petrucci, on the other hand, and Vinnie Moore are guitar players, guitar players, and that is what, you know, is that, that's what they do. I mean, they're also composers, but they're master guitar players. Um, but yeah, I mean, these guys, guitar, the guitar world is very interesting. And I'm especially aware of it now because over the last year or so, I've been practicing the guitar. And oh, wow. Hot, okay. I've been learning how to play the guitar more. So I'm more attuned to, uh, you know, attuned to that uh -huh. um what's interesting to me is now you have all these guys who are incredible shredders doing you turn on instagram one yeah. after another you see these amazing things happening guys just just playing like crazy on the guitar you're like wow yeah but you know and it's fantastic it's great to learn a skill like that <clears throat> but what separates somebody like a john petrucci is the music that he writes for any yeah. of the guys that you mentioned right. what is the what is the musical offering that john petrucci gives to the world I mean, yes, he's an incredible guitar player with the world's best singing tone, 
but it's the it's the music that he's written and that we've written together, you know, that make the difference with who he is on you know on the planet. Um, and Vinny Moore, similar, you know, also an incredible guitar player, but also the music that he writes. These are these are composer guitar. They're not just guys who are figuring out incredible things to blaze through and blow your mind. Um, and of course, Stephen Wilson, you know, is one of my you know what a close friend but he's also a beautiful musician just offering such lovely music and you know and again using the guitar as a helpful vehicle to write right. to express um so yeah I mean, that's how i feel about it okay uh how does spirituality inform your music does it play a role in terms of your music Um my music kind of is my spirituality I would say okay. many okay. is it definitely is it's just I use it for meditation uh you know one of my favorite things to do is to both you know sit at like a piano or synthesizer and kind of attune myself with music um and I also and that's very very personal but I also like to you know see if I can you know create something musically that can also bring other people into a more spiritual kind of meditative relaxed you know space i think music is the perfect um you know uh, vehicle for for achieving uh a spiritual space i think it's probably probably a more uh an easier kind of path <laughs> in our world more people should be thinking like that for our world would have less trouble but yeah I definitely, you know, I, I use music as a spiritual tool and that's kind of how I feel. Wonderful. I'm sure there must have been many blissful moments in terms of your career. So what have been some of the most significant or the gratifying moments that you could possibly highlight in terms of your musical career spanning several many decades? Yeah. Um well you know what's interesting about being a productive musician is that you get to create you know albums and mark time that way okay so yeah i mean so when i when i create an album when we go through the whole process and all of a sudden you've got the final result you kind of go wow like this is what this is what i was doing this is what i did this is what i assembled and it's marked in time and it's offered to the world and those those things that those you know products if you will are the kind of things that are you know for me like the, the easy way to remember where i was at at that point whether it's dream theater's uh, you know scenes from a memory or a six degrees of inner turbulence or it's my own like listen album which definitely marked a period of time where i was at what i was thinking about you know musically how i was playing everything is in there it's like there's so much information as part of these releases it's it's so interesting you know like uh i did a chapter in time which is one of my solo albums which i did right. as kind of a um my own um not answer but my own way of experiencing the whole pandemic and the lockdown that was mm-hmm. so personal to me and i i managed to to create something that was not only personal but i also managed to get it out which is a trick yeah, in yeah. itself because you, you know it's hard to think you're making music for other people but at the same time have it be that you're making music totally for yourself so <clears throat> so that that album again marks the time a chapter in time yeah you know yeah. appropriate name but all of them are all yeah, the yeah. albums are a chapter in time so the highlights i would say the highlights are those particular time periods where those things happen but of course there's certain live shows that that uh, you know were highlights because maybe like we played at radio city music hall in new york city which new york is my hometown and when we played there it was a big feeling of like wow my god you know we're playing <laughs> radio city music hall or you know where we go to italy and we play uh, you know at the milan you know stadium for 15000 people and it's like Correct. you look around and go wow got to remember this moment it's incredible like wow i don't don't know if it'll ever happen again but this is uh you know a whole head trip you know it's like wow so yeah this definitely things and then there's the funny moments so not oh, funny now but not so funny then uh-huh. you know that also are become very memorable like you know being in mexico city and all of a sudden being uh having a little earthquake and then walking on stage wow. after it and you know going to use my rotating keyboard stand and all the I make it tilt towards the audience for a lead about 15 20 minutes into the show and then for the whole show I couldn't get it to go back so I'm playing My the goodness. whole show on a on a tilt 
Do you remember that? Because it was so crazy, wacky, and, you know, it wasn't great at the time, but it's almost funny when you look back. Sure. Incredible, incredible experiences. I'd, I'd love <laughs> to hear a lot, lot more of these anecdotes, but I'd like to make this uh, conversation a little more interesting by inviting out our special guest for today. Uh, okay. I couldn't think of a better name than Yogi to be our special guest. So he's been professionally working in the music industry since the age of six, and he's the founder, songwriter, vocalist, producer of the band Pineapple Express, which is a very successful, progressive, cross-cultural band in India. They're a awesome. multilingual act and yeah. uh, highly sought for in terms of their live music experience. They've toured all across the country, and Yogi also. Uh, does production, music production. He's also an FOH and lighting engineer working with artists who have come down to India. We've had uh, artists like Marty Friedman, Pliny, Divine, uh, Indian artists such as Gopi Sundar, uh, a band called Chai Med Toast, uh, who he has personally worked with, you know, in terms of uh, creating that live experience for them. Cool. And uh, he also has this experience of... Uh, performing at over 1,200 concerts in uh, the Indian uh, independent music industry, right? So he's, he's also been part of uh, reality shows like uh, Sare Gama Pa, and uh, yeah, he's a huge Dream Theater fan. So I thought it'll be best to invite him out and uh, find out more from Yogi himself. Awesome. Sounds fun. Let's do it. A drum roll? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wish we could put like some synth intro for Yogi to come in. Yes, me too. Yeah. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> hello. How are Let's you, see. Jordan? Oh, there he is. Hey, how's it going? Going great here. How about you, Ali? How are you doing? Very well, very well. We, we couldn't be more excited uh, <laughs> from inviting you uh, onto this uh, interesting conversation we've been having. LDS, LDS. So tell me, what, what have you been talking about? Oh, pizza, Chinese food, you know, just some different things. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, you talk about all the interesting stuff, and now I need to nerd out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take it away. Exactly. Okay. Uh, firstly, uh, I don't know what Adi just told me about, about uh, you know, my connection with Dream Theater, but I think listening to Dream Theater's music was the single most life altering moment in my entire life. So, oh, firstly, wow. thank nice. you guys for that. Uh, and I play the keyboard, so thank you for inspiring me in several ways to, you know, explore the keyboard as an instrument and do things that, you know, wouldn't traditionally be thought of with a keyboard. So, yeah, thank you for being that for me. Thank you. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Okay, so, um, well, I think of the keyboard as the single most all-encompassing instrument in the world, at least in my opinion, because you name another sound, another instrument, you can probably play that on a keyboard and, you know, very convincingly. Do you, you know, ever feel like you've hit the ceiling with that? Like, there's nothing more left to explore, you know, since you've done it all? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, first of all, I'm, I've been so interested in the evolution of musical expression, which has led me down a lot of different interesting avenues. Uh, of both hardware and software products, things like the Seaboard as a good example. Yeah. Uh, the Rolly Seaboard, or like my very own GeoShred, which, uh, as I was telling Avi, is very popular in India because of its, you know, really intelligent kind of pit, the way it deals with pitch. Yes. Do all these are not, I don't know if you heard like some of the guys like Mahesh Raghu. I know Mahesh, doing, yes. Yeah, doing magical stuff with GeoShred and everything. So, um, so yeah, I think, there's, I think there's more to a life, if you will, than just like a traditional keyboard. There's no doubt. And I'm constantly pushing and, you know, creating and asking, and, you know, whatever it takes to, to allow myself to have more fun and others, right. uh, you know, making music and being more expressive. And I, I was telling uh, Avi that the um, I'm really excited because of this new Osmos keyboard, actually, it, it allows us to do things that we weren't able to do before on something that's more like a real key, like a real traditional keyboard with right. additions. It's, they're referring to it as an augmented keyboard. So uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to. to no, I to haven't. I should probably it. check it out. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's really amazing. It's a game. It's totally a game changer. And the reason it is, it's because it's not only a really good idea what they did to augment the keyboard, but it's also really it's this balance between engineering and musicality that seems to really work. It seems really when you play it, you feel like, oh, this is really well feels really well made. It's like a it's like a concept that kind of is whole. So. Right. 
which I think that some of the other things, you know, there's a lot of experiments going out going on out there. Sometimes you feel like, oh, it's almost cool, you know, like a lot of good things. But in this case, it's like, okay, this is cool. So just to make it quick, so the Osmos allows you to do things like, you know, as soon as you start pressing down a key, the moment it goes down, it's tracking where it's at in time. So you can mm-hmm. you can do almost like this continuous control of an instrument. Like you could play a cello sound by starting to press down the key and then having it go to the bottom and having the cello sound fully come in. Yes. And every yes. it's MPE, meaning that every key is separate. So you could have some yeah. notes fade in faster than others. And then, you know, how like keyboards have what we usually call uh, uh, aftertouch. Yeah. When basically on a keyboard, when you have aftertouch, you're, you're like, this is an example you press the key you hit the bottom then there's nowhere to go but you keep pressing and it's kind of like triggering more sound on the osmos you're playing along and then you press down on the key and there's actually almost like this cool feeling and there is more room to go even though when you're playing along you're not hitting that extra physical space so there's pressure of just pressing down the note which is measured in the distance where you are when you're in your press um into pressing the key but there's also aftertouch, which is a real aftertouch. <clears throat> and then the keys themselves, well, you can press them down in this stabilization in the software. But when, your key, when the key goes down, you can also literally wiggle uh, the key from side yes. to side. So it's not vibrato like where you are physically in that key space. It's how much pressure you're pushing from side to side, uh, which is really cool. Actually, the Roly Lumi has that ability. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't, you know, it's a little bit. It just feels, you know, a little bit different. Uh, the Osmos is, you know, has their own way. Way uh, cool. There's a lot of good, a lot of uh, there's other things too. You should, you should definitely check it out. So for me, you know, this year, this just came out, you know, a couple, two, three weeks ago, and I think it really will get people really thinking, and it's going to change the way we view a keyboard because up until now, we never thought of the keyboard as a continuous instrument, like a right. like a woodwind or a, or a voice or a, a bowed instrument. But now it really it, it is. It can be. So I think it's going to surprise and interest a lot of people. Lovely. Speaking of uh, how we view the keyboard as an instrument, uh, I was going to ask you this later, but it feels better to do that now. So, uh, Dior Shred. Um, I tried playing the Dior Shred when I met Mahesh for lunch about a year and a half ago. We were just hanging out and talking about Dior Shred. So yeah. I tried playing the Dior Shred. I, I think in guitar when I write songs, but I cannot play the instrument, the guitar, the instrument. I okay. don't seem to have the ability to view the fretboard the way a guitarist does. Now, I noticed that... It's <laughs> <That's> really hard. <laughs> I'm trying yes. these days as well. Yes, That's I noticed. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, so uh, do you have any plans in place for um, GeoShed to have mm. a more traditional keyboardy layout where maybe we have alternating rows of white keys and black keys and every row is an octave? It's very possible. Uh, I mean, I think that I think that's a great question. I mean, I think that the GeoShred layout does make sense for what it does. It does. Uh, but it doesn't mean it's the only layout that somebody might be interested in. Like you said, maybe you, you know, have a harder time wrapping your head around that kind of a layout. Whereas if it was more traditional, like a keyboard, you might be able to you know, really do it. Part of the problem is that you know, you've got this arrangement of like black and white keys. If it's a traditional keyboard, the way the pitch intelligence works between the notes and the software works, it's not as straight ahead to program like the right. distance between like an E and an F, let's say in a keyboard of B and C as it is to like from a white note to a black note and it starts to change the whole system of the way that it works. Um, so all of a sudden you start saying, oh, well, don't make it tr- a traditional keyboard, make it lines or something like that. And that gets away from what you're, what you're you know, kind of almost saying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, other interfaces, you know, given the time and the resources are totally possible. That's good. That's good to hear. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, let's talk about improvisation. So when you're improving, perhaps on stage, perhaps at a jam, perhaps while coming up with a piece of music, uh, yeah. there is a certain level of lag between the brain and the hands uh, in the sense that are you, are you really thinking of the notes before you play them when you're improving or are you letting your visual and muscular knowledge of the scale and the keys and how they're laid out guide the passage you're playing it's really hard to completely nail down in words what's happening uh it would be an interesting scientific experiment to look at somebody's brain while they're improvising and you look at my brain i, I would like to look at <laughs> because like sometimes 
as an example, I'll be improvising in my brain away from the keyboard, like coming up with something just like almost like the equivalent of your mind wandering, you know, just right. generally different things. I'll do that musically. I'll have a whole, all these notes that'll pass through my head and phrases and I'm not hardly even thinking about it. Then I go, oh my God, like, wow. I just like, that's so weird. You know, so it just happens. This is this fluid thing, like a rush of wind or something like that, that happens or like, um, it's hard to explain. You know, it, it's kind of like, you know, I, I sometimes view it as like, like talking. I mean, even though my verbal communication is not as fluid as my musical communication it's there is a similarity in it where when, when we're talking we're not reading from a script right now right. and somehow each word is following the next and it's hard to explain exactly how we're thinking that or what the next word should be but yet we're making sentences and the words are coming out and they seem to be going faster and we don't know not like we're okay i'm gonna say this next word now because you know what i mean yeah so musically, I view what I, I view, if I could kind of like explain it or try to teach it, I think of it as a vocabulary, I guess. Like, you know, suppose, a, yeah. a, wor a word could be like a C major scale. Like, da -da 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 -da. It could be like one word, or it could be an arpeggio, like, da -da 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 -da. or some other shape, like a little blues riff, like a riff could be a word. So you're connecting riffs, you're connecting scalar patterns. It's almost like how, how you, you know, kind of weave through. Like I was saying, um, uh, you mentioned the fretboard, and over the last year, I've been, I've been actually, as a hobby, been learning to play the guitar, yes. <clears throat> having a lot of fun with it. And one of the things that's really hard is, or that's the learning process, is, okay, so I learned how to do a sweep arpeggio. Oh, good, I got it, great. Oh, my God, now how do I use it in a musical phrase? Like, how do I go, like, the connection is like, to put the words that you learn together, that's a whole other thing. And to learn each thing, a guy can be doing most amazing sweeping, but does he really know how to improvise with it and how to use the sweep within the context of a, of a musical phrase or a, you know an improvisation? That's <clears throat> so the the art of improvisation is definitely mysterious, um, and it's something that that is a big big part of my life. Was a funny story, and then I'll let you go to the next question. But I used to play with a group called the Paul Winter Consort. Yeah. Uh, with Paul Winter, who's a sax player, and the cellist's name was Eugene Friesen, wonderful guy, great cellist. And <clears throat> we were at a, uh, was before our rehearsal, and I was sitting at the piano. I was just playing, just playing whatever the hell came into my head. And Eugene, and when I stopped, he says, Jordan, what was that? I said, I don't know, I'm just playing. He says, man, you throw away more good music than most people write in a lifetime. <laughs> I, said, well, I don't know, what do you want me to say? I'm just playing, you know, so to me, it's, it's the stream of consciousness kind of thing for good or bad or whatever it is, but that's what it is. That's amazing. Okay. Um, yeah, this is, this has already been so much fun. Okay. So I think, um, when it, you spoke about how you think of notes that just occur to you, perhaps when you're in the shower or just hanging around somewhere. Um, yeah. well, that's how I write songs. I record those ideas on a voice note or, cool. or a voice memo and take that into the studio. So, the thinking aspect in the studio is reduced by a huge margin. And then I can put out what came to me very naturally when I was doing something else into songs. And I think uh, note selection is by far the second most important thing no, in songwriting, the second most important aspect of songwriting. Right after having the right structure and having sections flowing from one to another smoothly enough, what yeah. do you think defines a good song? <clears throat> good, good question. Um, well, it's interesting because there's a lot of ways to look at that. As a progressive yeah. musician, writing like epics and crazy music and parts, yeah. that, you know, there's something about the prog musician where it's acceptable and it's kind of almost like a cool thing to go from this part and then you go to this part and then you change to here and then it goes to this and that, that you know. And then the classical, you know, world, if you think about certain classical music, you could almost think of that, that kind of music moving and weaving and changing a lot as well. Or if you think about pop songs, they could be a lot more maybe simply structured and have these forms. So <clears throat> a lot of times for me, that the, honestly, the easier way out is to just have it be, you know, this thing I played that kind of 
mm, that leads towards this because harmonically it's doing something interesting. And then I take the melody and I put it in the bass and in the lower uh, area. And then I put other chords around it. So I'm almost like using these musical tools to like continue the composition rather than thinking about, you know, the absolute form. A funny story is that I was writing this, um, I was commissioned to write an orchestral piece right? okay. by uh, this promoter in Venezuela. And I thought, oh, great, I'll write a concerto. So I, so I started to write a concerto for keyboard uh, and orchestra. And when I, when I, and I wanted, and I enlisted my young uh, friend, Aaron Boshbu, who's the Turkish uh, musician. I don't know if you know his name, but he, he actually conducted Dream Theater's Breaking the Fourth Wall. He's ah, uh, okay. amazing talent from Turkey that I met as a young guy. He's an orchestrator and everything. But I sent it to him because I wanted to get his help to orchestrate it. And he said, Jordan, first thing he said to me before he commented about anything of the piece, he says, Jordan, this is not a concerto. I was like, what do you mean? This is not a concerto. He didn't say like it's a cool piece or anything. He says it's not. You can't do this. I was like, wow. <laughs> like, but I want to write this piece. And he was like, well, it's not a concerto. So I finally found out that it's not a concerto because it wasn't following the form that a concerto was written in. A concerto has a certain form. I was just writing music. I was just going for it. You know, like it was this one part, and that made me think about another part. And you know, is that a, is what I was doing a form? Sure. I mean, it's a, it's a musical form. It's like a, it's like a journey, right? I'm good at writing journeys. So the form question is really interesting. And like, you know, even so, I will say that even in dream theater, when we write some things that are complicated, my my fellow bandmates in the old days, like Mike Portnoy, Don Petrucci, very very interested and good with form. Even if we were writing something co complex, <clears throat> they would be like, "Okay, this is the verse. This is the pre-chorus. This is the chorus." This is the pre this, this is the pre that. And I can tell the way their minds work were different than my mind, which I really appreciated. Um, so I, and what was interesting about that also for me is that I always found myself able to write a smooth bridge. Like if you're going to go from this part to this part, you, you can, I can find chords and find ways to, to get there. But with dream theater, it almost became over the years a style that they'd be going down this road, if you will, and then, then they turn. And, and to me, when I first heard that, I was like, there's no bridge. Where's the bridge? Yeah. And then the fans were like, I love that. That turn, that <laughs> quick turn. So structure, form, it's all, it's, it's interesting. It's important and it's, it's even important in the crazy world of dream theater. But there's so many ways to do it. You can yeah. make a right turn and people will love that. Or you can just go on a journey and not have A, B, A, whatever it is. You know, so um, that said, if I'm sitting down and I'm trying to write a song, a song, yeah, then this becomes a real question and it becomes, how do you put it together so it makes sense? Am I repeating the verse too much? Did I, do I need a bridge at this point? So I'm, I will say right now that form thing is not my specialty, but, uh, but I can appreciate it and I understand, you know, finding the right form can really help to, to make something, you know, great. Yeah, I, I think that form less music as opposed to having an A, B, C, A, B, C, D kind of structure, that, that really hits the spot for me, provided that those sections have some kind of flow between each other. Right. And that's, that's how I approach songwriting as well. So it's, it's cool. very nice to cool. hear that. Awesome. Uh, as a follow-up to that, um, I think we have a bunch of prog head musicians back over here in my country. And there's always this age-old conversation about striking a balance between emotion and technicality right so is is there something that you gravitate towards you know uh, consciously or subconsciously because i get these urges to write something really cool that i can pull off that i can play something difficult and cerebral but looking right. back at the days when i used to give into those urges it feels like i have dialed that down quite a bit now and i'm mostly reassessing every addition that i make to a song to serve some kind of purpose do you have any advice for artists who are in a similar crunch? It's a, it, it, it is an, always an interesting question between the technical uh, aspects and just serving the song. You know, it's not necessarily easy, especially if you are, are like a player and you want to feel the dance of your instrument. You want to, you want to just kind of go for it. Or, I mean, there's, some, there's magic in the fluidity that different players have when they play like fast and clean or whatever there's a sound there's a feeling 
and there's even emotion behind it, hopefully. Um, so, but finding that balance is, you know, something you also have to think about who's your listener. What are they capable of even absorbing? I feel like we live in a day, um, where, you know, you scroll through Instagram and you see the most amazing players, like guitar players that are just doing things that you're like, holy shit, this is incredible. What is that? But then, you know, what's the, this might not be any real music associated with it. Um, which is, and then I always think, well, there's definitely something very cool about gaining a skill to be able to do that. That's a beautiful, high, the high thing to be able to pick so cleanly and sweep so perfectly and do all those kind of things. It's different. It is a different thing though when you're trying to compose a piece of music and you're doing it for like either yourself and an audience. Um, and as somebody who's, you know, worked on my, my uh, agility and my speed, and I'm not necessarily using the word technique because I think technique also refers to the, the art of being able to play, play beautifully, yeah. slowly. Technique is, you know, you don't have a good technique if all you can do is play fast. You yeah. can play slow. I mean, like Tom Bertrucci has a great technique in my mind. So when he plays a beautiful melody, it's soaring and it's glorious and beautiful. When he plays fast, he can do that too. So that's a, a good technique. Um, so, but again, to feel the song, you know, maybe a great player, you know, maybe the better thing for that song would have been to not play, you know, something really fast at that moment. It's, so I, I can relate to that challenge. I feel that challenge because sometimes I'll be sitting there and go, I want to play something. <laughs> but like the like somebody producing, like in, in a dream theater case, John might say, no, 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 let's do something. It's better here to play chords because we're trying to write, you know, we're trying to write music. We're trying to write a song. So you can imagine the challenge like in a dream theater like yeah. session. You know, we, we feel the when we write this two-page, you know, thing that John and I play in unison of thirty-second notes, we get that out of our system. We do it, and it's awesome. And then we can go on and write the rest of the song. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to get it out of your system. Yeah, it's like a. You know, that's who you are, right? It's like the case of a zoomie with a dog or a cat. I guess you've got to expel that energy out. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. Ah. Uh, okay. So that probably brings me on to my next question. What do you listen to? What do you enjoy listening to? And What's your opinion on, forgive me for lack of better words, but what's your opinion on less musical music, such as um, hip-hop and mainstream pop that prefers to keep it revolving around sex, drugs, money, and anything that is relatable and actively subdues intellectual musicality to achieve that? Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> I'm not into it. No, it's not my thing. I like, but I will say I like some rap music like but if i hear something like a, an eminem thing where you know i'll hear that and i think his sense of rhythm is so unique and really right. interesting and maybe what he's saying is also you know on point and regardless of you know whether i really relate to the kind of delivery or whatever but you know i can relate to i can relate to music if it has qualities in it that are interesting to me in a musical way like if it's just a constantly pounding bass drum and I'm like, oh, I don't want to listen to this. I hate that, you know. Right. But if it's but if it's got some element to it, if the harmony is interesting, if the the way the voice is articulating the rhythm, if that's interesting, that's cool. There's got to be something in it that is musical, you know. But give me something. Give me some cool sounds. I'm really very sonic, you know. It doesn't yeah. even have to be necessarily harmonically interesting, or it doesn't even have to be rhythmically interesting. You could have some really cool sonic experience to it, like really interesting captivating sounds that are cutting edge or fresh or interesting then i like it too but if it's just you know a guy rapping about you know sex drugs whatever he's politics who knows and it's just boom 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 you know that's that to me is like the lowest form of like possible music and i'm not that interested in it i feel the same way okay, <laughs> okay. got that out of the way <laughs> <laughs> let's get that <laughs> yeah so um do you think that do you think musicians in general have an inherent unspoken responsibility to shape and guide the way music as a subject and art form is perceived in the future? And your feelings about how the global audience base for progressive music or general intellectual music is getting relatively smaller and smaller compared to, well, the more accessible mainstream relatable music, which, yeah. keeps, which seems to just keep climbing up. It's on a steady incline. Yeah, I think that this is something that is a little bit concerning about the world that we live in. 
Yeah. I mean, there's certainly a lot of people that still love like, what I might consider to be real music or you might consider to be like great music. There's definitely a lot of people that do respect yes. that. Love it. As there's a lot of people who still listen to Bach and Debussy and, you know, Stravinsky and everything. People who have those kind of like, um, like that kind of perspective or that kind of thinking will always gravitate towards these maybe higher forms of, of uh, musical expression. Okay, so the mainstream was, you know, we can be sad that the mainstream seems to have gotten this place where they like things really dumbed down or people aren't really listening to music uh, the same way they, you know, you go into a restaurant and they're blasting some music with like some pounding beat because they want you to drink more because, you know, just to loosen up or whatever. It's fucked up, you know, it's too bad. It's really sad. Um, and I do think that musicians like guys like, you know, or bands like Dream Theater, Stephen Wilson, or, you know, whoever have a, you have a bit of a, a mission, you know, I mean, whether, whether they consider it to be that or not, but I mean, I just, I, I, my hope is that these people who are making this high, I would say, yes, more intelligent, higher form of music, that they would just continue to be able to put it out there and try their best to make it happen. And, and offer people, you know, we don't want it to get to a point where they just say, you know, because of business or whatever, that they just have to give up. You know, like the music business gets so bad that it's just like, well, I can't even do this anymore because people, not yeah. enough people are coming to the shows. The promoters don't want to pay the money to, you know, put on a concert. I mean, it's honestly, it's a real, it's really a concern. You know, in my lifetime, I've just seen it change so much. Of course, you know, I used to, my the biggest, uh, stylistic influence in my life is the progressive rock stuff from like, you know, Genesis and Yes and Emerson Lake and Palmer and all that. And that was a very different period of time in every way. Absolutely, yeah. You know, that was, that was, that's, was huge. I mean, if Dream Theater were doing what we do in like the, you know, 70s, early 80s, we would have had an entirely different career. I mean, we've had a good career, there's no doubt, but it would have been an entirely different thing. Then the, then the, uh, amount of money that the internet says that we have now would be actually probably true, but you know, but unfortunately, it's a different period of time. <laughs> it was actually a really funny article that I just you know because I see these Google things and I clicked on it. It says how much money do all the Dream Theater guys have? Or like now, it said like I have like twenty five million dollars, and I'm like, what? Where do they get these numbers from? What are these people thinking? Oh my god, I wish I had that, but I don't know. But anyway, but the music is just. You know, the music business has changed so much. It, it has. Yeah, I'd like yeah. to chime in, if that's okay, Yogi. Uh, in the interest of time, uh, I'd like to come to the last part of our agenda today, which is the rapid fire round. And I'd like both of you to participate in uh, equal capacity. Okay. So shall we get started? Yes, and I do need to go soon. So thank you Correct. so much. Yeah, it's just, it's just three questions. And, yeah. and, and let's see how the two of you do in terms of this. Okay. Uh, what is that one song that always makes you cry? Always <laughs> <laughs> oh, makes me cry. Um, What's it called? The um, Adagio for Strings by Samuel Barber. Oh, great choice! And you, Yogi? Uh, there's a song called "My Mind" by Yabba Smith. That oh, gets wow. me every time. Yeah. If the two of you decide to put together like an all-star progressive rock group who would be in it who, who would you recruit given say that you have 25 uh, million dollars like uh, jordan mentioned some time back uh, who are you going to recruit <laughs> i already have the i already have the guys in my band i don't need to recruit anybody <laughs> but would you like to add some musicians in specific uh, um uh, yeah I mean, I'm always fun to play with other other musicians. I haven't worked. Oh, I have worked with him actually. Um, maybe do some more work with Guthrie, the guitar player. Guthrie Govan is such a great guitar player. I wouldn't mind doing some yeah. more stuff with him. And what about you, Yogi? I would. I would definitely go with Guthrie on the guitars. He's so Probably, great. Yeah. Uh, just for the heck of it, Matt Gatska on drums, and um, <laughs> we would. I don't know. This is such such a tough question. Um, who would I get on bass? This is all very conflicting. Oh, the bass player. Well, yeah. Mohini Day is so awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the juicer. Um, yeah, you know who's a great singer, though, that I have worked with a little bit that I always want to work with more is uh, Jonah Nielsen. Oh, from, oh uh, yes. Dirty Loot. 
but mm-hmm. an incredible, incredible talent and a friend of mine too. So maybe we'll do more. But yeah, they came um, down to India about a month and a half ago, and oh, they were fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I bet it's great stuff. Great. So that brings me to my last question for today, which is a custom in all of my interviews, and I ask all all of my distinguished guests this very question. Uh, so here's the question: Down in the distant horizon, what would you want to be remembered as? Um, <clears throat> my first thought personally about that is, you know, I'm the certain music that I make, as we discussed, that's more for like maybe tuning your spirituality or that I, that I, that I use for my own well-being. And I like to think that people will think of my music. I mean, obviously they'll think of it in a lot of different ways because there's a lot of output, but I really care about if music has touched somebody to really heal them or to help them and make them feel better. For what, in I guess whichever kind of music I put out there that does that, if that's the if that's the way they think about me in the future when I'm long gone, then that would be amazing. Wonderful. I, on the other hand, do not want to be remembered. It's okay <laughs> if they don't remember me, but if while I'm alive, if I've managed to make the music that I am making right now, which let's face it, gets a lot of flack because I am blending two styles of music that. technically do not and should not belong together according to the gatekeepers if that does well and that stays on it lives and no one remembers my name that's okay with me and we can use that that concept as the uh, material for our next uh, our next talk <laughs> like who <laughs> cares is. if you're remembered in the future yeah. right we can have we can go into a whole spiritual domain and and yeah. talk about that totally this interview will be additionally aired on big fm shillong and aizol on the sunday prime time show between 5 to 6 pm and it will be out on my youtube channel in an audio video format and across all major audio streaming platforms very soon uh, thank you so much jordan uh, and yogi for taking time out it's been an incredible blessing honor and a privilege thank you thank you once again uh, and thank so you, nice please. to talk to both of you guys what a pleasure it's really been great and please do let me know so i can help you uh, get the word out uh, when, when we publish Certainly. the interviews my Certainly. team will broadcast it. Sure. sure. Okay. Take care and have a nice day. Yeah. Thank you okay, guys. Thank guys. you for having me Adi. Thank, Thank you Jordan. You. Likewise. Thank you. Thank so you. Much. Bye. Thanks Adi. Bye guys. Bye.